This is our podcast about generational issues in the workforce from a mom-daughter perspective. I'm Emmy Hayes. And I'm Lynn Hayes. Let's work on work. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to season two, part two of Let's Work on Work. We have some really exciting guests on this season that we've um, taken the time to get to know and talk to them about the evolution of work and what that looks like. So we really hope you enjoy. First up is Jennifer Rock and Michael Voss. They have spent two decades careening through corporate America and barely lived to write about it. As company journalists, speechwriters, and C-suite advisors, they stockpiled insider stories and cautionary tales. They are co-authors of BS Incorporated and Operation Cluster Pluck, which, by the way, mom and I got to read and it is hilarious. So the description of it being a humorous, heartfelt novel set in the world of big business is spot on. We highly recommend you pick up a copy and give it a read. It's available on Amazon as a hardcover or as an Kindle edition. And both authors live near Minneapolis, where they own a communications agency. They speak to groups of all sizes and share their perspectives in publications such as the Washington Post. So please enjoy this very candid (laughs) and quite comical conversation with Jennifer and Michael. All right, Emmy, you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. (laughs) Hi. All right. So today we have some very special guests, um, communication professionals and, all, and also amazing authors um, to share a little bit about their new book, Operation Cluster Puck, um, as well as kind of what they do day to day and what has inspired them throughout their years in, in the corporate world and beyond. So welcome, Jennifer and Michael, to Let's Work on Work. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. Great. So, you know, if you guys just want to do a quick intro of, of who you are and, and where you come from, that would be great. And then we can get into the good stuff. Sure. So uh, Mike and I have been communication professionals our entire separate careers, uh, working in um, areas like executive communication, speech writing, marketing communications, um, dabbled in public relations, um, things like that. Uh, In working for various companies, our paths crossed at Best Buy headquarters here in Minneapolis, where we worked together for 12 years. And um, that uh, with that company, you know, 170,000 employees across the world, we had these big jobs to keep those employees inspired and informed. And um, and to be honest, got completely burned out and uh, ended up quitting those jobs, starting our own communication agency and writing two novels about the workplace experience. Kind of similar to our background here, too, is that we've um, between mom and myself, we've both had a lot of experience in a lot of different places and finally just kind of said, well, I think we can probably try it on our own. So we applaud you for that um, and finding your way through, you know, what works for you. But I'm going to pass it over to actually mom to kind of lead you guys into talking about the new book out and um, how how mom stayed up late, you know, reading it cover to cover. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and I wasn't putting it off till the last minute. I just didn't get it till pretty late. And I've been uh, I've gotten really busy lately. So that's been good. But, you know, it's hard to find time to read. Uh, nice to meet you guys. So, Michael, I guess uh, Jennifer kind of spoke for you. I wondered if you wanted to maybe add a little bit to 
um, your background from what she added, or would you like to just jump into the book? Sure, I guess I can I can just say that in addition to writing the two novels, our, our communications agency is really um, about helping drive engagement and uh, and informing employees. So we're taking our experience um, that we've had from our prior careers and now working with a, a slate of different types of clients in different industries and always trying to do a good job of helping a company do a better job of connecting with its employees. And you know what I love about that is kind of what Emmy and I are working on too. So we have a lot of things in common and I think we all see where it's not working uh, almost every day. And the fact that there are people out there like us trying to help is encouraging. Absolutely. I've uh, recently been working with a, a lot of leaders and, you know, we get the, the statistics about how people quit, quit leaders, you know, and then I look them in the eyes and I say, you know, that's you guys, right? right. You're nice. either building engagement or you're destroying it. There's really nothing in between. You can't be neutral on it. And I think that kind of leads into the book because um, if I had to uh, think about the message that your book sent, it was really all about culture and engagement. And I wonder if you guys want to just give us a little bit of um, your take on how you would describe the inspiration for writing the book and then uh, what your hopes and dreams are for the publishing of the book. <laughs> sure. Um, so we... Um... So the, the book really, you know, Operation Cluster Puck is the, the continuing story of a, of a great big Midwestern company that has grown really big too fast and always seems to find itself spiraling out of control. And so there's this group of middle managers that we um, kind of your tour guides um, through this business who, um, you know, really are just trying to save themselves and this company um, and and do the best they can in, in the crazy workplace, uh, corporate life that, that we all have been through in, in some fashion here in corporate America. And um, the inspiration for the book really was um, kind of Mike and I sitting down and thinking about all of the crazy people we've known and the situations that we've been in and our experience. Um, you know, together we've been in corporate America for, you know, combined 45 years. And you take all of those experiences and, you know, we, we kind of looked each other in the eyes and said, we, we can't be the only ones. We can't be the only ones who have gone through some of this, who have laughed at some of this and, um, you know, who were excited to find free food in the break room and who had to battle. Uh, <laughs> right? Oh, my gosh. Some of that stuff like was, a... it was just so real. I was just like, oh, my gosh. They were texting <laughs> each other about free food in the break room. Who hasn't had that text? <laughs> And it's so exciting. It <laughs> is. It's like make some people's day. That's right. That's the best exactly thing that happens right. to them. Which is sad, but it's so true. And so, well, really, it's all back to that engagement. You're absolutely right. And so what we really set out to do with both the first book, BS Incorporated, and um, the sequel, uh, Operation Cluster Puck, um, is to tell a story that would make people feel a little less alone in the workplace. Um, to give them a sense of camaraderie, of, of teamwork, and what it's like to have a good day in the workplace, um, to stand up for yourself, to take charge of your own career. And, um, and we really wanted to, first and foremost, have it be an entertaining story for people who have also been through the similar kind of experiences. I just can't tell you how much I enjoyed reading it as far as um, I probably could substitute almost every name in there with a name of somebody that I've worked with in my life. And uh, a couple of my favorites, just so you know, were um, 
the bad guy, right? So who hasn't had that guy as their boss? Lyle Kirkland. Mr. Kirkland, yes. I teach a leadership through people skills class, and we call that uh, we call that behavior Q1 behavior, which is uh, very ego-driven and very results-driven. So it was all about him and all about the money. And uh, so we know those guys. The other thing that cracked me up throughout the entire book that I couldn't, I mean, I giggled every time, were the conference room names. <laughs> the silly conference room names because who hasn't worked for an organization that named their conference rooms in a very crazy way in Iowa they name them after the state fairgrounds you know of course the, uh, they do yes they do fairgrounds a fairgrounds b midway i don't think there was a corn dog room but there should have been <laughs> so well here here in minnesota a lot of the rooms were named for lakes because we are the, oh, yes. the state of 10,000 lakes you are in fact so i are... did some work up there and i got a tour of snail lake i walked around a little trail over there <laughs> up up in up north of st paul yeah so yeah i so know yeah. 10,000 10,000 lakes you have room for 10,000 conference room names so i suppose that was Gosh. a safe bet I don't want to be the millennial here, but the you last, should, but a- go ahead the last agency I worked at, our conference rooms, I'm in Atlanta, I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia, our conference rooms were named after outcast songs. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you have the rap got to be kidding And it was me. amazing. I'm writing that down. We had a lot of meetings in Hey Ya. <laughs> That's all I'll say. And, I am and totally writing that down for another book, so I'm stealing Emmy, that. Please do. There you go. <laughs> I hate to seem old, but I don't even know if I know who outcast is, sweetie. <laughs> all right. That's a shame. I'll have to educate you next time you're here. All right, especially so, if you're going to have a meeting in the Hey Ya room. And I'm the Hey Ya. Hey uh, yeah. You got to kind of dance. Now. I know it's. I know that song. It's playing in my head. All right. So, <laughs> so in in addition to the book being very entertaining, it just hits so close to home. The only thing that was different in this book than in my real life is that I've never um, had a securities fraud and had to turn somebody into the FBI. That's never happened to me. I can say that. A lot of the other things have happened. So I wonder how, as a leadership uh, professional, so I uh, teach people, I do workshops and I teach people about leadership day in and day out. And I was, as I was reading the book, I was like, there's got to be a way to use this. Initially, when we were writing the first book, we joked that uh, business schools should use it as a text to, uh, to prepare their students for what, what kind of environments they're going to face once they graduate. But really... What we set out to do was, as Jennifer said, to entertain people and to make people feel like they're not alone in the experiences and the things that they're going through, um, whether that's um, good leadership or bad leadership, great friends. You know, we, we wanted to make sure we represented the camaraderie you develop with your colleagues and you develop lifelong relationships with some of these people. Jennifer and I both have friends that we keep in touch with from several jobs ago, decades ago. Um, so really, we were just out to entertain and uh, and to help people feel like that, you know, the they're not alone in the things that they're going through. Yeah, you know, I think um, I, I've yet to hear a leader who has read the book and said, wow, you know, dodge that bullet. Glad I wasn't that type of leader. But certainly, you know, there are good, there's examples of good leadership in our book as well. And absolutely. Love, I would love to think that maybe we, you know, we kind of threw down the gauntlet for some leaders in that regard as well to say, you know, what would it look like if I was that kind of leader, if I could communicate as genuine, genuinely, if I could put down my darn phone when I was actually talking with an employee and things like that? There would be a good step in the right direction. I hear a lot from companies that I work with, uh, and I'll just say I'm a baby boomer, and there are a lot of people my age that are still in the workplace that are just 
just really tired of the young people, you know, like Levi, who wanted to be home with his kids and wanted a flexible schedule until the evil Teple came along and took it away. <laughs> and so what would you say to all generations in the workplace when it comes to building a good culture? What do they need to do? I mean, how do we, how do we get people to to get along, you guys? I know you have the answer. Well, I'm not sure if we have the perfect answer, but I think, you know, uh, like both of you, we see a lot of companies that make mistakes in trying to build that culture. Um, too often, I think they focus on the sizzle and not on the substance. And, you know, we, Jennifer and I often talk about, um, you'll have companies that set up a foosball table near where the, the uh, candidates come in or video game stations and things like that, trying to say, this is a fun place to work. And they don't focus on what's underneath in terms of what employees are really looking for in terms of their career path or their opportunities or their, you know, even just feeling like they're making a difference working for an organization with a meaningful mission. And I think um, too often companies are trying to sell the sizzle and not focusing enough on, on what that experience is really like once the employees work there. At the same time, I think employees can on occasion think too much only about their own career, and they focus not enough on the mission of the company. And I know at least early in my career, I learned very quickly that the best way to advance in my career was to deliver results for the company and not to think about and continually ask about what's in it for me, but to really drive for the results. And often that's where the individual opportunity comes from. And I think that's where some of those good, strong relationships come from. Your manager trusts you. That's a big thing work so hard that your manager has a level of trust in you and often um, things will start to work out and fall your way. <laughs> I think there are so many people that are focused. They get so worried about themselves. And all I say is that, you know, it's like, it's uh, at will employment, right? You're here to work right. for the company for a paycheck. They're here to make money. But if you guys can both mutually have a benefit out of it, but you, you don't get something for nothing. What are you willing to commit to, to get, that's right. to, to get, you know, what you need. It's not the company doing it for you. It's we're working towards mutual goals. And I'm so glad I thought for sure you were going to say, you're going to take that and drop it on the cutting room floor. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think I, I agree with you 100% and we don't hear it enough. I always think the, in the employee survey, when we send it out every year that says, you know, what do you need more of from us? I think it also should have a question for the employees that say, and what are you willing to do to help make sure this is a great place to work? Seems profound, doesn't it? Absolutely. Emmy, you've been it's, awful it's quiet over there. I've been trying to um, wish the construction outside my door to go away. Um, <laughs> well, but we're good. <laughs> that's what happens. That's what happens. Um, yes. No, this has all been really insightful things and awesome talk. I let you guys get into the, the leadership jam because as a young one, I always feel like, oh, we're, we're leaders. I'm a natural born leader. <laughs> and then they put us in leadership roles and sometimes we crash and burn. <laughs> but that's not on anyone else's fault. That's just kind of sometimes how it works out. I, you know, I've been in careers where I've been lured by the, you know, free lunch and the foosball table <laughs> and the video games. And it's definitely an interesting vibe when you do walk into a company and understanding that, you know, I want work-life balance. I want flexibility. I want to go play Miss Pac-Man whenever I want. But I think what happens to a lot of a younger generation in the workforce is the reality 
of, okay, but you you can do all those things. But once you actually get your work done, you can go have fun. So I'm kind of interested to steer this conversation towards an area that I've really gotten involved with and that I've been having some really great conversations with very large corporate com- companies here in Atlanta. And, and it's really about recruitment, right? It's about them finding a younger workforce, but still kind of trying to fit how they've been doing things and what they've been doing into kind of a new package that I think, um, you know, Jennifer and Michael, as, you know, communicators, it's what you are really good at, is something that, you know, if you want to share an experience you've had with a client or something that you've observed and how, you know, an established company has been trying to kind of get the attention of, you know, not even just millennials anymore, but Gen Z and even kids younger than that, I think that'd be really interesting because I know there's a ton of interest from you know, I hate to say it, but kind of the old school, the old school crews here who are having a really hard time finding the talent in what they think they need and how it's already transformed and how it's going to transform. Yeah, I think that's um, it, it's a very important topic um, and especially for companies um, that want to infuse, you know, their workforce with some new blood, some new talent, some new ideas. And, and certainly uh, attracting those folks and recruiting them and finding that talent is, is you know, game one for, for a lot of those companies. And I think it goes back to what Mike said about the sizzle versus the substance. Um, a lot of times companies, you know, will say the right things, but, but not back that up. And the second thing that we see, I, I think, in a lot of the companies that we work for, and again, I'm, I'm going at this from a communications perspective since that's what we do and that's near and dear to our hearts is um, from a communication perspective, a lot of companies say what they, or offer what they think those young employees want without actually asking them and listening to them. So, you know, we are um, huge believers in figuring out the right way a company can connect the dots between the leadership, you know, between the C-suite and the front lines or the young employees or whatever employees you're looking to recruit. Um, and so, you know, again, this sounds so common sense, but it's a lot more about listening than it is about talking um, to those folks. So, you know, I'd say, you know, it's time to flip the script on, on some of that. And in terms of your communication strategy and, and recruitment and things, um, I'd say you should, you know, follow the 80-20 rule. You, 80% should be you going out and finding those Gen Z folks, finding those, those people and asking them what they need. Um, the kind of company, the kind of culture that they would like to work with, and um, and then deliver on it. And I would, I have a an example to share as well. And I, I think I'll, I'll sum it up first by saying I think um, companies need to be really sharp on what their culture is to start with, because I don't think you can hire, recruit, select for culture if you don't really know what kind of culture, what those employees are experiencing. And then I think the second part of that is we fall too much into a process-oriented hiring. So first, the, there's the phone screen, right? Then you, then you meet with the initial hiring manager, and then there's a, a meeting with the next level manager before an offer is made. And we recently had a client that had an interesting, they're a small law firm, and they were very clear on their culture was different than other law firms in which um, there's sort of the shark mentality and a sweatshop mentality at a lot of these law firms. You bill as many client hours as you can. That's how you become a partner. 
and you just rise up the ranks that way. Well, they really had more of a family-friendly culture. And what they would do, what the uh, managing partner said when he started at the firm 20-some years earlier, he got invited to play basketball at the local YMCA with a couple of the partners. They weren't looking for his basketball skill. They were looking to see how he comported himself in a competitive environment, and they just wanted to see how he fit in as a person. And now I'm not saying certainly that every company, every firm, every organization should you know, take up the basketball example, but they didn't limit themselves to a very structured process in hiring. I love that. They were very focused on finding the right fit for their culture, and they took some of these people outside the workplace and interacted with them in different ways to determine if they were a good cultural fit. The guy's there 25 years later and became the managing partner of the firm. It's something I hadn't really thought about till just now. It's, it's because it is amazing how linear the interview process is. And it just occurred to me that that maybe needs to be looked at. Yeah, I would have failed the basketball. Hires. I would have failed the basketball <laughs> oh, thing. Oh, goodness. So would I. Because, yeah. um, you know, because I probably would have uh, twisted my ankle or something like that. There, there, I think about it from a perspective, especially our, our younger generation. So, and so I, when I think about, we think about, Millennials, Gen Z, all the new people coming into the workplace. As a very experienced um, person from the workplace, I have been, well, between Emmy and I, we probably have 45 years of experience, I'm just going to say. But I wonder, you know, we were all young once. I wonder if you guys would share what your first, uh, first big boy, big girl job was out of college and if that's what you expected it to be and if that's what you wanted to be when you grew up. Mom, we can just say adult job. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm a mom. I big boy, big girl. Here. How about how about your first grown up job? Thank you. Now it could be. I'm not thinking about the one at the pool, you know, because we've all had that job, or at the Dairy right. Suite making ice cream cones. But like, <laughs> you went to college, you got a communications degree or whatever it was, and then you were like, got your resumes, got them out there, and you got that first job. I just wonder, as a new employee, how did it go? What was it? And, you know, looking back, is it what you really wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, great question. Um, so I got a journalism degree and um, with a specialization in media management. So, you know, I didn't want to just work for a, you know, writing for a newspaper. I wanted to run something. So um, my first job out of college was, um, was with a bank, a very large bank that is no longer in business here in Minneapolis. And um, in their corporate setting, and a lot of my time was spent proofreading mortgage documents. And Ooh. it is just <laughs> as boring as it sounds. Um, I was detail-oriented, and, you know, I was needing to make my little pittance of a rent, so it was totally fine for the eight months that I was there. It was not everything I thought it would be. It really opened my eyes to, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, so you can tell how many years ago I was in college, but that certainly um, opened my eyes a lot to what a corporate job would feel like, made me think about culture, certain, you know, without even knowing what really that word was or what it meant. Um, but knowing that there were environments that, you know, like a, something in the banking industry that were heavily regulated, um, heavily detail-oriented, not creative in any sense of the word, and certainly the people that worked there were very good at what they did, but they were also not creative and, um, and very by the book. And I walked out of that job thinking, well, that's a place I never want to work for again. Um, and I think that really set me up to think differently about the jobs and the environments that I work in in the future. I, I really wanted to work 
um, for companies that played hard and worked hard. And, you know, I'm no stranger to working an 80-hour work week, um, but I wanted it to feel fulfilling and wanted it to feel like I was growing in that position. And that first job certainly was none of that. I think so many people have that same experience. I think young employees are having that same experience. They get they get a job. They're very excited about getting a job at a firm and they end up in a cube uh, working yes. on Excel spreadsheets or proofreading or you know, taking care of a project Gantt chart or whatever it is. Everybody there is so grateful for the help. They just assume that they're going to be happy because they're getting a paycheck. That just doesn't cut it anymore. So did you want to be a journalist when you grew up, a writer? Is that what you dreamed of? When you were I little. did. I've, I have written as long as I can remember, you know, you'll need only talk to my mother to the, you know, her big bin filled with half written poems and little silly stories. I started from, you know, way back in kindergarten that, um, yes, I always wanted to be a writer. Um, communications in the um, corporate field is certainly a form of that. But I'll be honest, when we started to write our first novel, it took me um, it took me a while to get back into the groove of actually writing something for myself, writing something that I enjoyed, and writing something that I thought was fun and entertaining, because it had been a lot of years of, of writing um, for a corporation that, um, that uh, you know, you just get into a different groove, I think. Well, you did a great job. I was very impressed. I know how hard writing is, because I, I have a hard time uh, tapping out a blog post, so I just want you to know <laughs> that well, thank you. all the words are in my head. They just won't come out. All right. So thank you for sharing that, Michael. Tell me your story. Sure. So I um, came out of school with an advertising degree, and my first job was as an advertising copywriter for a small um, in-house agency for a power sports company. And so it was exactly the job that I wanted. I wanted to be an advertising copywriter. I had visions of writing um, TV commercial scripts or you know jingles or whatever it might be. Jingles. Work, though, oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, the work, though, in this first job, we actually we produced catalogs with all these um, accessories for the power sports industries, whether it's boating or motorcycling or snowmobiling up here up north. Um, and so the work was pretty boring. It, you, don't, you don't really get to tap into your creativity. A lot of times you're copying and pasting the copy from last year's catalog into next year's catalog. So that wasn't really engaging. But I was okay with that because I knew it was an entry-level job. I know you don't start out you know, producing television spots you know, right out of school. But what drove me away from that job was the culture. So it was, a se it was seasonal work. So when we were really busy, we would work a lot of hours to get, say, the water sports catalog out in time for the springtime. All right, so, uh, so it was seasonal work. So you'd have to get the catalog out in time so the sales would happen at in certain times of the season. And during those busy portions of the season, you would work long hours. You were salaried employees, and you were expected to work long hours. During the slow portions of the season, you were still expected to be butt in a chair for eight hours a day. And that was, um, that was really, I guess, distressing to me to see that you were expected to work hard, but you got no flexibility on the other end. And it, it was so bad that on Friday afternoons during the slow season, the agency chief would go up to the front receptionist's desk and would do some little petty work up there just to stand by the front door to make sure that nobody left early. And oh my gosh. A, yeah, right? <laughs> and, you know, and this, we had all just finished whatever, wrapping up one season's catalog, and everybody wanted to knock off a little early on a rare sunny Friday afternoon up here in Minnesota. 
and that was ultimately what drove me from the company is they would, they would take from you what they could, but give nothing back in return. What did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, I wanted to be a novelist. Okay. Very, so you guys are doing, honestly, you're, yeah. you're living the dream then. Yeah. It took us um, a whole lot of decades to get there, but it's never <laughs> well, too late. Well, and that it, I think that's a really important message for everybody. It doesn't matter, you know, as long as you keep working towards your goals, you can get there. It's just sometimes it takes a funny little circuitous route. And the funny thing about getting there, though, is you can look back and you know that everything that happened got you there. That's exactly right. All those experiences matter. And for us as writers, we, we couldn't do it without all of those experiences. Yeah, how could you have made up all those characters? I swear you were like looking at places I've worked though because they were amazingly similar to a lot of people I know. Oh no, I was just gonna say, just it, we that's probably the one thing we hear from readers most often. Like I've I've had people look me up on LinkedIn to say, did we work together in the past? Because <laughs> like I swear you were talking about this one company I worked for. It's like nope, I've never heard of that company, but yep, we're all in this together. So I I I think I just. I think there's some there's some meat on the bones there for some learning lessons. And as a learning leader, that's what I do. I think about how especially our younger workers and younger leaders uh, might want to learn in a different way. And it might entail some fun, you know, maybe yeah. maybe a fun novel approach to leadership development that might be it might be something that, you know, it might be in the future because we all take ourselves so darn seriously sometimes. Absolutely. I love it. I think that's a great idea. All right. Well, uh, Emmy, any other questions from you? No, this has been super insightful. And as a fellow writer, I totally understand when you have to get back into the groove for your own, your own voice. <laughs> you put on so many hats as a, as a corporate communicator or, you know, advertising copywriter. And then you're like, wow, what, what, what do I want to write today? <laughs> Yeah, it's how many more times can I describe this inanimate object in a very exciting way? If we're, I'm going to just, uh, if, is there anything else you guys would like to add before we officially stop the podcast? Um, you know, I actually have a question for Emmy. So, yeah. Emmy, I'm, I'm curious, there's so much talk about millennials in the workplace today. And yes. I, I personally, Jennifer and I have had conversations where I think millennials kind of get a bad rap. Mm -hmm. um, Certainly, they, they have different views on things than the generations that came before them. But I'm just curious how you feel about, you know, I, I think in some cases, the criticisms are fair. But in, in some cases, I hear older workers kind of complaining about, quote, those damn millennials. Right. And sort of lumping you all together as being selfish and only thinking about yourself and your career paths. And, and I don't think that's accurate. I think, I think you know, attitudes shift over time. And mm -hmm. I'm curious how you feel about that being sort of lumped in with uh, in, in sort of a, a one-dimensional view of people of your generation? Right. No, that's that's a great question. Um, I have I have been obviously uh, very lucky to have a tremendous support system and an insight into really what the corporate world is like based on, you know, my mom's own experience and some other experiences of people who have mentored me through a lot of stuff. So I like to say that I've experienced a lot in a little bit of a time. And now on this new venture, it's been really exciting to walk into these corporate boardrooms as a consultant, as a millennial consultant, never mind you, you know, like, what's this, what's this kid going to talk about today? And I think it's, I really just dig deep into an in individual 
right? It's like we can always group people into certain stereotypes and, you know, oh my goodness, they do this, do they do that. And something that mom and I really talk about a lot is that, you know, we were all young once, even though it might not have been a trend of, you know, having a phone constantly in our hands. There's something else that you were talking about, you know, at the water cooler. Like a lot of, there's so many parallels to just kind of empathizing with, oh yeah, I, you know, I remember when I screwed up my first project and got chewed out. So why can't I chew out this kid for messing this up? And it's like, well, you're probably a better person than your old boss was just because of the way we work and live today. So, you know, what's that approach? But yeah, it's really, I mean, it's it's been very frustrating, obviously, to be lumped into any sort of group. I mean, no one really likes that. But, you know, I'm just trying to get in there and be like, here's the data. Here are the stats. Like, we're, we're here. We're growing up. I mean, even as millennial, you know, I'm 30 now and really kind of positioning myself into what's that mid-tier upper management role. You know, how, how do millennials become leaders based on how we have, you know, disrupted the workplace. But really, what does that look like? Because we're not the young kids anymore. You know, Gen right. Z's following up and they have a whole different set of traits that sometimes even annoy millennials. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> it's actually really funny to see it just continue, just, you know, this continuous loop of like, oh my gosh, they're doing like TikTok in the corner. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's already a new app. So I don't know. I, I think it's it's been unfortunate that so many of us have just been clumped into like, oh, the millennials and avocado toast and we're broke and we can't do this and that. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm like, I'm making it. All my friends are making it work. So and I do like avocado toast. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just been so interesting. And, and to kind of, you know, a little bit more on that, you know, I entered the workforce right after 2008. So it was kind of a slow, a slow churn on on jobs and things. But what also happened to me is that I was the young kid with a Twitter account. So I was a 22 year old showing up in Chicago and everyone needed a social media coordinator. And that's not a job I ever thought I'd have ever. So that was. But no one else could do it. Right. And so that was really interesting in like leadership, taking responsibility because they didn't know. No one knew what was going on. But, hey, you're a kid with a phone in an account, figure this out. So that's also been kind of the flip side of something really exciting about millennials and how we kind of got into the workforce in the first place or in careers that we were never even told about, you know? Sure. So that's been interesting. That's, and you know, Emmy, that's, it's so interesting though that, you know, to hear your experience because I'm sure, you know, being Gen Xers, you know, we we probably annoyed the baby boomers in exactly <laughs> right. the same way when we joined the workforce. Kids these days. Kids yes. these days with their MTV. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So I just think it's really and important I, to pull those parallels together. We have so many stories. I I, I also yeah. annoyed the uh, plus 50 crowd when I started in the workplace a million years ago <laughs> before we were labeled as a generation. We didn't even know what we were. We were just trying to make a living, you know? Well, thank you for sharing that, Emmy. I, I appreciate it. It's a, just uh, something that I was thinking yeah. about as, with the two of you together and having that unique perspective from different generations in the workplace. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's been fun. Well, and I feel, I feel a little bit sorry for you guys as Gen Xers because, you know, nobody's thinking about you. Yeah, we're lost in the wash. <laughs> we, in every, I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen too, like on, you know, they, they do these surveys or they, these stats and it's always from the baby boomers to the millennials. And we're like, yeah. hello, right. there's a whole generation in between. What All the data us? about you guys says you are the sturdiest generation. You could let yourself in the house and make your own snack after school and exactly you're right. fine. Yeah, you're fine. Well, we don't the have way to worry we about look you. at it, it's like, 
The baby boomers and the millennials are just going to keep on fighting, and we'll just take over the companies. You're going to take over right. the world. That's exactly you're right. Fine. You're all pos- you're positioning yourselves for greatness. So that's that's. Awesome. I'll just be filling out my participation chart. Yes, <laughs> and I will get the trophies out of the attic. <laughs> All right. You guys were great. It was so much fun. Thank you for reaching out to us however long ago it was. And I really appreciate your time. Um, I uh, I would love to continue this conversation at some point. Is there any way that people would be interested, if people are interested in learning more about you, where should they go find you? Sure. So again, we have two websites, one for our business and one for our book, and both are linked. So I would probably send you to rockandvossbooks.com. And that's where you can find out more about BS Incorporated and Operation Cluster Puck and our crazy crew of characters that we've invented. And then from there, you can also head to our business and our communication agency if anybody wants to learn more about that. Okay. Well, go out there and see what's going on with these guys cause, and read the book because it is so much fun. Well, thanks a lot. And uh, I guess that does it for today. So I guess I'll say goodbye. But don't hang up because <laughs> I got to tell you about the kayak. Okay. 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 Thanks, Mom. All right. Here we go. We, we have stopped recording. You're good to go. Thank you for listening. For more information, go see our website, edgehill.co. Edgehill.co. Thanks for listening. For more information about anything that we talked about today or trends of the workplace, go to our website, edgehill.co. Thank you for listening. Comments, questions, concerns can all be submitted at edgehill.co. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hire us, please go to edgehill.co and fill out the form. We'll be right back with you. Thank you. Hire us. Edgehill.co.